0: Welcome back to The Strong Room. I'm your host, Sherry McMillan. Today we're exploring how to sell your family business. There's a lot to contemplate, and obviously we do need to protect ourselves because our family businesses are the assets that we worked our entire life for to preserve. And often if we do sell the business, they are the asset base that we're going to utilize for our retirement. So today we're exploring selling our shares of our business versus selling our business as an asset or going concern. And I thought, Roland, we would start our dialogue with what is a letter of intent? What kind of tools can we use? A letter
1: of intent is simply a a very brief letter agreement between the parties that will outline some of the basic terms that they're going to be involved in through the sale. The advantage to it is they can negotiate a lot of that information themselves without having to retain their lawyer, and it's not all that technical. The very brief term such as what is the purchase price, what assets are we looking at buying, how are we going to allocate the assets in terms of capital gains versus capital recapture. So a lot of the very basic terms are are settled, and it is much easier to start from that basis rather than getting the lawyers involved right off the bat and paying them to negotiate it for you.
0: I know in my own years of experience, a lot of business owners will actually just sit over a cup of coffee and talk about the terms in which they could live with. And then at that point, if they feel it's amicable, then that's when they will retain appropriate legal counsel to protect and self-guard on each side. With this in mind, Roland, one of the things I want to talk about today is obviously there is risk when we're disclosing the nature of our business, our clientele, the list that we have, how we operate our business. So I want to talk about the non-competition clauses that we sometimes see in a lot of business sales.
1: A non-competition clause is a way to prevent the seller from getting back into the marketplace and recapturing some of the clients that they've essentially sold to the buyer. So a non-competition clause is typically negotiated at the time of the sale so that both parties know what they're getting into. The seller, of course, doesn't want to make it too long because they may have to continue earning a livelihood and they'll want to get back into the process at some point. But it has to be long enough that the buyer is comfortable in knowing the clients that they're taking over will be their long-term clients.
0: Now, there's sometimes some industry standards, I think, that are applied to that term. And frequently, I see often a lot of times two years. But there's not a rule of thumb about that. It is on the nature of the business.
1: That's right. And sometimes the nature of the business will make a determination not just on time, but also perhaps a geographic location. So if, for example, you have a manufacturing company that exports across the province, you can be prevented from dealing with any of your customers in the province, but perhaps not in the U.S. or another province. So geographic limitation can be another way of ensuring your client base is going to be protected.
0: I think we're going to see a dramatic shift as the baby boom ages. What is going to occur, of course, is a succession of these businesses, either into the next generation or an outright sale. And I can share with you that predominantly in our own firm, probably a good 20% of the families we work with, one of their long-term objectives is to sell their family business. So this is something that a lot of legal firms, a lot of accountants, a lot of family business owners need to start to contemplate of how do you design this well, and how do you take advantage of the taxation benefits that are available to business owners, but also safeguard yourself legally.
1: That's right. Most business models will anticipate a a minimum five-year planning process to ensure an effective succession plan of going concern.
0: And I think that's an excellent point, Roland. I always share with families, if that's their objective is to sell that business, then they need to work with their accountant, not the year they're about to sell the business, but way in advance of that, to sit down with them and strategize how much income they draw from the business to make it look more lucrative to the potential buyer. And ultimately, a lot of times families haven't contemplated these kinds of ideas.
1: That's right. And with Enough advanced planning, clients can really look at how to better distribute the capital gains, the income realized from a sale, by using concepts such as an estate freeze or family trusts. These are all ways of minimizing tax and maximizing the purchase price that you're receiving.
0: Now, I know, Roland, you and I have worked together over time, and we've seen a lot of different types of transactions. You know, when the economy is really robust and it's booming, we'll often see a lot of share sales. And of course, when it's retracting, we see the opposite. We'll see a lot of asset sales. And I just want to compare the two, again, going back to our example of Spy versus Spy from the Mad Comic Book here.
1: That's right. In fact, I've recently had two very similar companies that were marketed for sale. One of them was in a more robust economy, like you mentioned, where the sellers were able to negotiate a non-refundable deposit right up front. It was a share sale, so they were walking away from all of the uh, assets of the company, including things like the old furniture and computer equipment. We had a very minor clawback in terms of an indemnity for historical debts, whereas more recently, with the slight downturn in the economy, we've had a very similar company being sold, but it's more of an asset structure. So we're having a lot more disclosure requirements in terms of what assets are being purchased, which ones are not. There's a lot of the lower productivity assets that are not being included, so the seller is now going to have to determine what will they do with that. They're not able to achieve the same sorts of deposits, particularly non-refundable deposits up front, and it's just been a lot more work.
0: Now, a very common situation that happens in family business is there are a number of members of a family that work in a business. And with that in mind, what can happen is there's expectation on behalf of these family members. If the business is sold, they do expect to take a portion of those sale proceeds. Or alternatively, if the business is succeeded, perhaps they expect that they'll inherit more of the value than their sibling group. And this is a very common issue in many families.
1: It is, and we often refer to it as fair versus equal. If a family member is working in the business, is it fair for them to receive an equal share with the sibling who's perhaps not working in the business? So sometimes a fair distribution is not an equal share.
0: Now, often a lot of families will neglect this whole area in their estate, Roland. And I see this very often where they've never even mentioned in their will, for example, that perhaps they do want their son to inherit an extra 25% of the business.
1: And this sort of discussion arises not only in the example where we're selling the business as a going concern, but also in the situation where the parent or owner in this example passes away and the business is handled through the administration of the estate.
0: I think this is a very important facet because one of the goals of many families is to continue to have harmony as a group. Now, that being said, if a child has an expectation that's not met through the estate design or the sale of the business, then all of a sudden we can have a breakdown of that family unit. And unfortunately, this does occur because communication and the expectation is not sorted out both proactively in the overall sale of the business or legally in the plan.
1: And they're very important issues at stake here. It could be a sibling who is in the business. That's their livelihood. So if the business has not succeeded properly through the administration of the estate it can severely affect their income.
0: That's exactly true, Roland. Now, one of the things I always share with families is when the parent group who own the business have the authority to plan their estate, one of the advantages of them being proactive is they can really solve a lot of these agendas and issues before they even occur. And this is, of course, the stewardship of our estates.
1: It really is. And it starts with choosing the proper executor or trustee of the estate. Because they'll have to operate the business while the administration is ongoing. So you may have one child who's in the family business taking a greater role in that respect. That can often create some family conflict. But you really have to do what's best for the entire estate.
0: Now, I know some of the creative terminologies and clauses that you've put in estates is that the children have a reasonable expectation of time in order to either sell the business on the open market or succeed it and buy out the family group. And I think there has to be a reasonable expectation of time around this today because our economy has contracted in the last while. And in addition, it's very difficult for new business owners, the children, the succeeders, to actually acquire. bank financing. And this has become a real agenda for families today.
1: It sure is. So you have to plan ahead to allow for enough time to find a buyer, to allow the children to find financing to buy them out. And oftentimes we'll use other products like insurance that can fund that sort of a buyout.
0: And simplicity is, of course, important to families as they design. So these are all things to be contemplating when we're trying to protect one of the most valuable assets in our estate, our family business. So really, it's a very exciting time as we shift into retirement and consider and contemplate the sale of our business. But there are some wonderful tips to bear in mind, Roland.
1: That's right. And the most important one, if we haven't said it often enough, is plan ahead. Business succession requires five, ten years or more to make sure you have a party who's able to buy the business, you take into account family considerations, you take into account security measures. So if the business fails, your retirement is not in jeopardy. And peace of mind, harmony amongst family members is important.
0: Being that our family business is our legacy, we do have the stewardship of understanding some of the complexities and the solutions around the succession of the sale or the succession to our children. We hope today's program was insightful for you, and we do welcome you to our website if you have further questions. It's strongroom.ca. I'm Sherry McMillan.
1: This is The Strongroom.